Hey there, this is the Penny on Your Thoughts podcast, and I am your host, Penny Chason. I'm a board-certified hypnotist, intuitive, and experiencer. This podcast is about tapping into your subconscious to create a more aligned and abundant life. By leveraging our subconscious, we can master our thoughts, frequency, and vibration. Fusing the conscious, subconscious, and our consciousness is the science of expansion and soul satisfaction. Each week, I'll share in-depth interviews or solo episodes. This podcast was created to share how you have the power to create infinite potential within you. It's my intention that you find this podcast empowering, inspiring, and full of possibility. Now grab your favorite beverage and let's go. Hey everybody, Penny here. Have you ever been at a moment in your life where you really asked yourself, you know, what what more is there here? There has to be more to life. To reach this point where you feel like you're really not connected or tuned in and it's almost as if you're looking to come home to yourself. Well, today's guest and I, we talk about these exact things and we talk about whether or not we deal with the things inside of us and how we deal with those things so that we can show up fully present in our life, in our business, and in our relationships. Because let's face it, and we touch on this today, I see it time and again especially entrepreneurs, but also career professionals do this as well. We can throw ourselves into our work as a way of staying distracted and busy and not facing what's going on in our life. I believe you're really going to love this episode. My guest today is Tiffany. She's a hairstylist. She really doesn't like that word because it's such a superficial concept of what she actually does. She gets to know her clients. You know, that connection is one of her love languages. And so she feels that the work that she does when her clients are in the chair goes beyond just styling their hair. But not only now does she style hair, but she serves as a consultant to entrepreneurs and business owners to streamline their business because In her career, her business has gone from simple to complex and big, and then she streamlined it back again. So she's able to speak from experience about the mental and the emotional that's going on behind the scenes that comes up as we go on this journey of healing ourselves while at the same time being an entrepreneur. There is something in this episode for everyone. So I encourage you to get your favorite beverage and to just settle in. This is this is a long episode. So go on a nice walk or, you know, snuggle up somewhere with a cup of tea, cup of coffee, and enjoy. And please, after you've listened, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, leave me a review and let me know what you thought of this episode. All right, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to have you 
um, tell your story about how you got to where you are today, because you mentioned to me that there was a point in time where when you were the salon owner and you were wondering what more is there, right? Am I just Tiffany, the hairstylist, the salon owner? Yeah. I would love for you to just kind of take it from there and let's go on a journey. Absolutely. Thanks for having me um, and letting me share this. For people who aren't familiar with like the hairdresser background, there's a lot of different different um, pay structures and opportunities just in the traditional like hairdresser realm from um, working, you know, in a commission-based salon, which would be more of a traditional like nine to five to going on your, your own to freelancing and et cetera. And I have to be honest, throughout the years, I um, worked as a stylist. I helped manage other people's salons, but I didn't really want to be an owner. Um, I knew that that was more work. And um, I also knew that as a manager, I got some perks and some benefits, but I can't say that that was always like a long calling of my, like of mine. And I was living in New York and relocated to Denver. And for the first time, I couldn't find a place I wanted to work in. Um, now, as a whole, I'm sure there's fine salons in Colorado. I just didn't find what felt like home to me. So I knew that I had to create it. So I continued to work managing other people's salons and also worked with um, the small business like association, like the community, almost like chamber offices in a town and built, built a salon and opened. And, you know, I felt like everything that I had worked to kind of led me to that moment. And even in that moment, it was so like, I just have to keep going. This is next. Now I have built it out. Now I have staff. Now I have staff, you know, um, dependent on me. I remember going one time to a stylist apartment. She had just gotten her very first apartment. She traditionally had always had like roommates and, you know, we went over as a team to like hang out and stuff and see it. And I remember walking into that space and thinking like my money pays for this. Like my business isn't always only dependent on me. It is now affording other people, you know, their, their livelihoods. And it was also just, you know, a lot of pressure at different times that I had to stay afloat and keep going to keep everything, you know, everything going. And let's see, that was like in 2015 that I'd opened and in 2016, 16 or so about a year, year and a half, um, into being open, my world just kind of got shook up. Um, I had always had a thriving business, but for the first time, my personal life was requiring me to show up in a way that I didn't know how to, and I didn't, um, have the time to show up for it. And both of those things kind of led me to that moment of what, who am I outside of, you know, a hairdresser? This is my only identity. And the only thing that I had felt or created a story that I knew how to do. Yeah, I think you bring up a couple of important things there. You know, you talk about the identity piece mm -hmm. of it, but it's, it's also when we run a business, mm -hmm. 
we don't, our, our personal life isn't on hold. And yeah. when our personal life is going, sometimes we can create a business where we can put our business on pause, but not, not always. That's, that's not something that's always possible. How are you managing during that time when you recognize your identity was really caught up in that? Um, I laugh because in many ways, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if managing was really um, a term that I would use. I think that, you know, when life felt crazy, I threw myself into the business and I can look back at years of my career that when things didn't, um, weren't going smoothly or I was being avoidant or, um, you know, other things were being thrown at me, that that's when my businesses soared because I chose just departmentalize it and shove it away and to really step into the business. It was something that I could control. So what I couldn't deal with at home home or, you know, in my personal life, I really was just kind of avoidant almost of it and showed up and, um, you know, flourished at work because it was something that I could, you know, control and show up for. And, you know, also feed that ego part of like, oh, well, look at this. My work is going really well. How did your personal life do? What, what was that like during that time when you're avoiding that and throwing yourself into the business? Because I've said many times, sometimes as entrepreneurs, if we're not dealing with the things inside of us that need to be dealt with, our business can kind of become our therapist. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, I mean, just as I was sharing, like, okay, I'm going to avoid this. So I'm going to throw myself into more work. Not only was I making more work inside of my work to do, but because I was a service provider, I was like taking more clients and it all was a big snowball to burnout. I, it was funny because I was actually going through, um, some old audio things that I had recorded for clients and, I had shared this story. So I have a bulldog. He's eight now. Um, I got him also right as the salon was opening. Like as if you didn't need an, a lot of new things, I added a puppy to the mix. And um, anybody who has a puppy or, um, you know, who doesn't and maybe just seen it on TV, um, a puppy requires like a lot of attention. And you know, Mash is an old English bulldog. So he was this wrinkly little like smushy thing that was just so cute. And because I own the salon, he could come to work with me. And so, you know, it was kind of intertwined on some of that. But I would come home from seeing clients and, you know, maybe 10, 12 hours of a day, like providing services. And I just couldn't deal with Mash. Just it was too much. I just needed a break. And I also knew that that wasn't fair to him in the sense of he's so excited. He's a puppy. He just needs this attention and needs to play. So I, I like got up and I went to the bathroom and you know what you shut the bathroom door. And I imagine if people have kids, it's probably similar, but here's this little puppy foot, like trying to get underneath the bathroom door, trying to get my attention still. I'd use, I'd use the bathroom and <clears throat> I found myself just sitting there because it was like, that was 
just a few minutes to myself. And, you know, then I would get up and go play with my dog again. And I found myself repeating this, that I would sit in the bathroom for a few extra minutes, maybe scrolling on social media. It was just like a few of those minutes where I didn't have to deal with him. Work was over, but like I was literally spending my time in on the toilet. Like <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. And, you know, this continues for like a few days until one day, instead of just sitting on the toilet, I was so tired that I laid down in the empty bathtub. So the bathroom door is still shut, the little puppy paws sticking through it. And I realized that a few minutes wasn't going to be enough that I needed to like some time to myself. So I laid in that empty bathtub for like 10, 15 minutes and then got up again to show up for the rest of my evening and proceed on. And then again, the next day I did the same thing. And so what moved from a few minutes in a toilet is now me laying empty on a bathtub. And it was really, you know, after doing this routine for, you know, a few days that turns into a week, do I start to take kind of an inventory? And I'm like, what am I doing? My free time trying to escape my life, escape the dog, decompress from work are these minutes in an empty bathtub. And that was really kind of that pivotal point that like something's not working. Something's not working in the business. Something's not working at home. Something's not working with like my time management schedule that I'm having to crawl into an empty bathtub to try to find another place to escape. Yeah. And for everyone listening, I just want you to really take in what Tiffany just shared because it is so important that we can end up in a place where we get basically, I'm going to use the word addicted, we get addicted to the busyness to distract ourselves from what's uncomfortable. And then the busyness became the frustration and the problem. And that few minutes in the bathtub was her quiet pull away from everything. But you know, for some people, it might not be quiet in a bathtub. It might mm -hmm. be a bottle of wine. It might be, um, you know, some other mind altering substance or a way to detach and disconnect from things. And what was, I think, so important that you said was you recognize that that wasn't right for you and you took inventory of what was going on where did you where did you go from there because i can't imagine it was a very uh comfortable or uh pleasing to yourself moment to recognize that you're you're spending your time laying in the bathtub to get away from this beautiful puppy. I, I have had kids and I know what it is to like, you just need to peel away for a few minutes. So where did you go from there when you recognized that something needed to change? Yeah. So moment, um, you know, where it's kind of like something isn't working with life and work. Um, you know, in that 2015, 2016 time also, I'd had kind of this whirlwind romance. And um, unfortunately, my then partner was in a tragic accident. And 
um, over the course of about six months of not being able to work and walk, um, had gotten addicted to pain pills, which then in a couple years, um, he was um, addicted to like street drugs. So that was like something that was backboning kind of the same time. Um, and a lot of what I was avoiding in life as well. So, so about the same time that the bathroom moments are happening, him and I also end up in a, um, like a therapy office for friends and families of, you know, addiction and stuff. And it was there that this woman had asked me, like, what do you want? And I am assuming because, um, we are there for my partner's addiction that that's what we want to talk about. So I'm going to talk all about him. And she really forced me to look at myself and kind of take responsibility, not for that situation, but in the sense of what do I want and what can I be responsible for? And when I started to talk about things that I felt like I wanted, it was more about a quality of life. Um, and, regardless of the outcome or what would happen, you know, over the years with him and I, it was the first time that I really started to look at who was I besides work. I'd throw myself so much into work and that was my only identity. So even when somebody asked me like, what do you want? It sounds so simple, but like I literally could not answer it. And, you know, at the same time as, you know, kind of happens when people are starting new businesses or big life changes, I also didn't have a lot of extra money. You know, the business, but I was pouring everything back into the business. I had a partner not living at the house. So I was picking up full of the household responsibilities and, you know, um, you know, people are like, oh, self-care, go do things for yourself or, you know, go try this new hobby or this new class. And to me, all I could see was like dollar signs in a point that things were very, very tight. So it was like, how do I start to dissect who I am or even, develop a relationship with myself, something that, you know, looking back at now I had avoided so long in life. How do I even give myself permission to look at myself um, and to, you know, start dating or nurturing a relationship? I think when we think of relationships, you know, people can think of like, oh, modern dating, like on an app, swiping, and then we have some communication and then we're dating, you know, um, you're moving in, you're all of these like stages, but I had to start treating myself the same way and getting to know myself outside of work, getting to know things that I liked or didn't like. And though I'd always, you know, throughout the years and even in this like, you know, heavy moment, like I had enjoyed life, but I also was just going through the motions of it. So how do I really like own it and get to know myself and start doing things again, just for myself? Yeah, you mentioned you were seeing dollar signs talking about self-care. So for people who might find themselves in a similar situation, getting overloaded with the same advice, like where, where did you start? What, what's one or two things that you did that started to maybe crack the door open for you? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, um, I've recently just moved as well, like in the last like, couple of weeks. And I think getting to know the area that you're in 
And even for people who have lived somewhere for a long time, have you ever really gone to that zoo or that museum or that coffee shop or popped into that little store? Like getting to know that area or neighborhood, the work neighborhood, maybe, um, you know, museums, zoos, all of that usually have free days. Is that something that you can take advantage of? A lot of times like event event bright, um, not even knowing, but you can just go on there and search for a free event. Maybe it's a community event that's online or, or maybe it is something like in person. And for the people who are like, oh, I don't like those things. Like I get it. There's things I don't like either. Then don't do it and find something else that you do like. Um, you know, I like walk a lot. So is there a podcast that I can listen to and walk? Um, if you are not into podcasts, I will even sometimes listen to Netflix on my phone and not pay attention to the screen. Depending on what you're watching, like you can do that. A lot of the like uh, reality TV shows, do we actually need to see it? Um, maybe it's learning to cook a new recipe. Um, I love Asian food. So I go to an Asian market. Maybe I ask a question. Maybe I know ahead of time I made like learn to make spring rolls. Then let's make dessert ones. You know, these are things that it's fun and it's curious in my mind. It's something that I want to do, but it's also like childlike, but it's feeding and nutrients to myself. So we've kind of like full gamut around. Like if I could, I think just telling expensive would be like my one underlying mission. And I come from luxury high-end hair services. Like, of course it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But just what are some other things that we can do, you know, that don't cost that? Yeah. So yeah. what were, what were your next steps once you began to really lean into what you wanted? Because I, know that a lot of what you do now is not directly salon management anymore right i mean you've you've done a lot of different things so i've pivoted a lot in the last few years and that's okay yeah. it, that goes back to that being childlike mm -hmm. and finding what feels good i think so many people end up unhappy because they go and they get an education or they learn a trade or a skill and once they've invested that time and money in that education and training there's this belief that somehow you have to stick with it your entire life mm -hmm. which thank god that's not the case mm -hmm. yeah um i think it's hard when there's kind of expectations of what people assume and want you to do things um for me that once all of these things were kind of coming to play, I had also realized I created a business that required me to work behind a chair all the time to make money. So it was about finding a way to scale myself back out of the business. So the first jump, I went from like 55, 60 hours a week to like 30 hours with clients. That's almost half. That was huge. Um, I was in a position that I could give staff some of my clients. I was in a position that, um, you know, managing salons that I knew how to readjust my schedule to make that happen. And I started to focus on what in my business was rinse and repeat. How can we get social media, you know, um, a system and a process that I don't have to do it? How do we learn to order supplies so I don't have to do it? 
how can we take everything that I've been doing that had been stuck in my head for years and allow somebody else to do it, to automate it, to, um, you know, find another solution that didn't require me. Cause I was really starting to try to buy my time back so that I could go do more of other things. Yeah. That's the beauty of running a, a, a business. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you, or did you not create a course for salon owners at one point? Yeah, I've done a lot of things. Um, I, when I, so scaled my business back, you know, cut hours, started making more money, started traveling like every other week and really over the course of like a year did a 360 in the salon business. And as I was doing that, I realized that I could help other people do that. I had already, you know, been successful in managing people's salons. So I knew a lot of stuff you know, already. But then here I did this big transformative thing and how can I make, you know, other owners' life simpler? So when I first, um, you know, was playing around with the idea of it, really a couple of people had reached out and I was like, oh, let's meet for coffee. And then it was like, wait, I'm spending my time doing this and I just got my time back. So I created courses on culture, hiring, management of people. I created courses on streamlining policies, procedures, um, kind of all of that. And I still don't think I ever really found exactly what I was looking for. I realized at some point I liked working with the staff, like the actual technicians and getting them to soar in their career as opposed to, you know, the salon owners in general. Then I kind of got pushed and went to other business startup and, you know, I was like, wait, I don't like working behind a computer. I want to go back in person. I think that part of the journey, like I'm still very much so on, but um, <laughs> I have created courses for a lot of different things. Yeah, because you were at the retreat last year. And I do remember you talking about the systems piece and you really weren't, mm -hmm. you know, kind of sure you're like, you know what, I think I want to go back. I want to get behind a chair again. And I mean, it's nice because you're in a situation where you have the flexibility that you can go in either direction. But I, one thing I also noticed, you're very much a systems driven person, which I'm not. So that, like, that's one of those things that, that I, I envy because don't ask me to create a system, give me a system and I'll follow it. It's just a, such a different way of, um, of thinking. So would you be open to sharing a little bit more around um, how you handled really not being caught up in that doing that you were in, in the business? Because, you know, yes, you dialed your hours back. Yes, you did. You did the courses. You have that flexibility, but that can be challenging for us to do if we're not really addressing the underlying piece. So I recognize that it started in that therapist office with what you really want mm -hmm. and giving yourself mm -hmm. some self-care. But I think you and I both know like it, it takes more than that to really evolve as a person. And I think that all entrepreneurs who stay in business long enough, it becomes a, a personal growth journey. Yeah, for sure. And it's so like intertwined as an entrepreneur, that business, that personal is just, you know, 
completely just intertwined. Um, you know, as a hairdresser, every hour or so, I'm told how good I am. Well, hopefully a client has liked their service, but, you know, I get that praise all day long. Oh, it's so great to see you. It's so good. They're reacting to a social media. They're leaving a review. They're leaving me a bigger tip. So all day long, I'm getting like, you're good, you're good, you're good. And then not only when I started to decrease my hours, but in 2020, right, when I closed the salon, all of that is cut off. And then I feel like I went through a huge, you know, other kind of like shift in my life again, because if I was still holding on to that a little bit, it was like completely gone. And going back to the whole, like a relationship with myself, I had just to sit in the fact that like, there was a part of me and a part of my ego that loved that so much. And I didn't need other people to validate who I was and how good I was. Like I could do that for myself, but like easier said than done. And, you know, I'm like trying to make sense of it even still like how, like all of that would kind of happen. But I think just learning to sit with some of that uncomfortable and stuck, I had spent years not paying attention to myself or, you know, second guessing maybe a decision or something like that. And I could not even like articulate in an emotion how I felt with anything. It was either like, everything's great or it's okay. I'd never really allowed myself to be like anything less than. And not that I want anybody to get stuck in that feeling or like this is crappy or, you know, anything. But I also had to learn that it was okay to feel some of that because I had never even on the Rolodex of emotions, I couldn't even identify them. Like I had to pull up a Google spreadsheet and look for words of emotions to then think if I had felt that way, do I feel that way now? How do I feel it? And like, that's crazy at, you know, 36, 37, I'm 40 now, but like, I could not even identify emotions. Like it was never taught to me. That's not that unusual. I think if any of your listeners are, um, you know, experience, experiencing um, maybe not being able to identify emotion or feel an emotion, one exercise that I had come across that really helped me was you can put a piece of chocolate. And if you have any like food aversions and don't want to do it with food, you can also do this with like an ice cube. But you put this item like in your mouth and you just start thinking of how it feels in your mouth. And again, I had to do this with like a Google sheet in front of me that listed all of, all of the adjective words that I didn't even have. But as the chocolate is moving around, you can talk about how it feels in your teeth and your gums and also, um, you know, how it's feeling dissolving or if you, you know, your cheeks are starting to pucker or anything because they're just words that I was never even familiar with. Right. And really like trying to get to that core part of emotions. That's how I started was descriptive words and with food. Yeah, I, I've heard of people saying before that, you know, they would Google a sheet um, and mm -hmm. a list of words of emotions to begin to define what they feel. And I want to piggyback on that a little bit because I hear a lot of people 
the word they use to define their emotions is they just feel less than. They can't put their finger on what it is. They just feel less than good. And as women, in my experience, uh, doing the emotional and insight-based work that I do, in hypnosis, a lot of times we will mask certain emotions because we're taught that we shouldn't be angry, how we're expected to act. So a lot of times we'll believe that we're feeling sadness and what we're doing to alleviate the sadness causes frustration because it's not working when it's actually anger underneath the surface. You know, we're, we're, we're angry. We're irritated because something wasn't fair and it comes across as sadness because what we have lost is our power to speak up our power to be heard and to be seen and so that's that's what we've lost is our visibility and i think really since the pandemic hit i've seen a huge shift in women in business and women online and some men too um in really allowing ourselves to be seen, to be heard. And I imagine that must have been something really empowering for you to be able to articulate what you were actually feeling so you could do something about it. Absolutely. And, you know, when I talk about like, oh, I threw myself into work um, because I didn't want to deal with my personal life over the years, you know, after I closed everything down and was trying to transition, I kept saying I was trying to recreate the feeling of the salon. And I was saying that for like years. And I was like, okay, so what does that actually mean? As a guest coming in, like, okay, you're welcome, you know, um, involved, invited, like whatever. But then I started to reflect back on what that meant to me. And in that space, it was the empowerment that I had given myself. It was because I did, I had a voice in work, but not at home. So in work, I felt that I could speak, I could speak up, I could question things, but I didn't ever feel that I had that at home, you know, for a multitude of different reasons. So I really can relate to like what you're sharing. And also, um, if any of your listeners um, follows um, Jim, he said this, but it's not like a quote of his, but he was talking one time about how like he wasn't angry because he wasn't like, ah, oh, angry person. And then he, you know, came to the realization that even though it wasn't angry as an angry person, that he was angry, you know, um, that was a, an emotion he was feeling, but it was not coming out as like yelling. Like I'm not a yeller. So I, uh, you know, agree with what you were sharing earlier. Like I never thought that I was like, angry or something. But then I look back at times that I felt very angry that I didn't have a voice or maybe I didn't use it or it just was coming out in another emotion, like you were saying. Yeah, it, it can show up a lot of different ways. And women in particular, um, you, you were talking about MASH, but for women who have children, I mean, we're my generation, I'm Gen X, you know, we're coming through this phase where our mothers were transitioning into the workplace. So what we see is a mom who's working, she's cooking, she's cleaning, she's managing the kids, she's doing the laundry. And, you know, 
she's trying to be uh, Mrs. Beaver. Is that is that the right family? I yeah. don't know. I didn't watch yeah. that show. So she's trying to be yeah. Mrs. Beaver and be a, a, a corporate or a business woman, um, whether she's employee or management or or above. And what I saw in healthcare, for those of you, if this is your first time listening, I was in healthcare for 25 years. Periodically, you would, you know, have patients who had cancer and they would have very aggressive forms of cancer. And I would always hear the surgeons and the nurses say, you know, I'd be given anesthesia and they'd be like, you know what? She is the kindest person. She has sacrificed everything for her family. Like everybody talks about how she has always given. And here she is. Well, always giving to somebody else means we're saying no to ourselves. We're saying no to our self-care. We're saying no to the things that make us happy, to make other people happy. We're really sacrificing all the time. And because we may not always express that anger as rage, we may not even realize it's there. And I, I'm really glad that you, you brought that up because being in tune to our feelings and our emotions so that we can process and let go of the things that we can put down and walk away from um, is so important. Yeah. And, you know, in all of that transition, because I can be as a people pleaser, former people pleaser, or still working on not being a people pleaser all the time, you know, when you talk about have balancing work and having a family or doing this and doing all the things. I've always wanted to do all the things. One, because I'm curious and I want to do it. Two, because I probably want the control of doing the said thing. Three, I have FOMO. And so I don't want to not go to the Halloween party because it's going to be very fun or, you know, um, and then I need to show up with a platter of treats for the party because I saw this thing on Pinterest and everybody was making it. And I think that, you know, the big thing for me is that I had to learn it was okay to not do everything. That because I wasn't doing something didn't make me less than, that's that word that you were using again. Um, if I chose not to attend, you know, a social event, people were not going to forget about me. Or it wasn't, it wasn't because I did not care. I also just needed to show up for myself and that might not work in my schedule right now. I had to be okay that, you know, um, was, was the kitchen sink dishes going to sit in there? You know, when life is feeling very crazy or overwhelmed, it is probably because of some sort of schedule, time, value, perception of how we're spending our time. And it's messy getting to the other side of that sometimes because it's work, it's transition. We have to do different things, show up differently, like ask for help or whatever those things may be. But I think that we also, it starts with giving ourselves that permission that maybe everything is not getting done. And, you know, until we kind of get a grasp on how we're spending our time or where our focus is or where that intention is and taking care of ourselves to take care of other people better, or to show up better for our business. Like sometimes that is just messy. And, you know, I use the, the, um, money reference earlier. Like I didn't have, um, money to do different things. You know, we have to 
to find other ways that don't always, you know, cost money to like be able to have fun or to be able to, um, you know, steer ourselves out of, you know, some sort of like transition. Yeah. I think giving ourselves permission to say no Mm -hmm. is sometimes one of the most valuable gifts that we can give ourselves. You talked about how you value self-acceptance earlier. How did you come to that place and what does that look like for you now? So I think there was throughout the years um, growing up in childhood and adolescence that my parents did a phenomenal job of saying like, you are different. It's okay. It's fun. You know, they accepted my curiosity. My dad let me take apart everything. He was a very patient man. We were constantly like building things. So there was qualities about me that I always knew that maybe were not mainstream, but I was also um, very grateful that those were celebrated. So I grew up, you know, oh, I just see things different or I just do things different or I, I don't want that. I want this. And that was okay. And as a household, I do recognize that I'm very grateful that I had that and was able to you know, feel comfortable with some of those things. Then I think we get to like all of the other like messy stuff of myself that I was choosing not to deal with. And that's why I was being avoidant. And that was like something I just had to learn. Um, Nobody really like teaches you again, going back to like motions. Nobody really taught me these things. And I had to start to learn to you know, that these moments were just a part of my story. They're not the final landing point. Maybe they're pivotal. Most of them years later, like aren't even that big of a deal as they felt in those moments. But, you know, trying to feel like that I had to do it all and what I wasn't doing was wrong or because I didn't have things were wrong, or I was failing, um, you know, at different points in times, it brought a lot of shame, you know, to different parts of me. And, oh, I will tell this whole side, but I won't show this. Or, you know, just these kind of different, that there were pieces of me I wasn't even accepting of and had to come, you know, kind of to terms with. And I think a big thing that's really helped me with that, I mean, honestly, is like the power of like books, YouTube, social media, because it was an opportunity for me to see other people's stories and people's stories that, you know, were grand and they had accomplished things or changed the world or even just grew a successful business, you know, in different ways, shapes or form. And then they had this piece of them that was similar to my story. You know, um, I like struggled with, um, I had like my own struggles with addiction when I was like 18, 19, 20. And for a long time, like I never told anybody about that or anything in that kind of realm because I wouldn't want you to think differently of me. And then once we got like 10, 15 years and I'm like, oh yeah, that's happened to me because why does it matter? It does not define who I am. I didn't feel like, you know, um, held down by it or anything. Um, and so I really 
I think that's why I like to share my story so much, because if somebody can see something in my story at some point in time and I can say, look, I'm here and it's okay, or look, I'm here and I'm a different person, or look, I'm here and I built a new life that I really like owe it to other people ahead of me who have chosen to share their story so that I can help learn to accept different pieces of myself. I think that's like the first part of it. Yeah. And, you know, I love that because I think it, you talk about YouTube, the podcasts, the books, you went seeking because you realized there had to be something better. Yeah. Was there ever a point where you, before you reached that, was there ever a point where you thought, is this all there is? Like, I want to say no, but I do know moments in time I felt very stuck. But I do think that I've always just had this notion, intuition, whatever it may be, that nothing is permanent, that everything can change, and that I can create a new life at any point in time. I... I got, I don't know, like from a young age, you know, I was raised more religious, um, like as a household until uh, my dad was a chemical engineer. So of course, then I'm in Sunday school asking how Adam and Eve has happened when, you know, um, I learned about, about evolution. I mean, it's not, it's a whole different topic, but um, I think that, you know, some of that questioning was always there. And I was probably like 20 Um, yeah, I was about 20 years old, just getting into hairdressing and somebody's mother did Reiki and had mentioned to me like, oh, you should have this done. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, I didn't know anything about it or whatever. And that woman also gave me the book, the secret and all of that, you know, kind of like started that spiritual relationship that has, you know, grown throughout the years that really started when I was, I think you're right in a sense of there was always something that I was seeking. I do have to like backbone it a little bit, but I also have to give myself some grace that I don't need to be seeking something all of the time. I think, I think that's a great point, you know, and I talk about that too, there within the spiritual community, there's such an emphasis on journaling and shadow work and introspection that I think that some people get into this incorrect pattern of always thinking there's something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. And know that, yeah, like, is there different things I'm still striving for? Like 100%, but also like here are all of, you know, the daily interactions that I have in my life that are great. Here are all the things that I'm still working towards. And, you know, here's, I I think that that really probably is like the key to that self-acceptance to learning to be present because we're happy and content with where we're at. We validate, you know, where we have been and still knowing that there is more that, um, you know, that we are trying to obtain or search or answer, but that it's not, it's always a moving target, but it doesn't have to be so consuming and allow yourself the permission to, you know, be present with your day. If 
someone wants to just kind of follow along or learn more about how you help salon owners or business owners with systems, because that's really how we buy our time back is with systems. And that can yeah. be in our personal life too. It just doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be only in our business. Uh, where can they, where can they find you? Uh, where can they follow up? Because I think that um, this is just a really good place to, to leave this conversation. Absolutely. So um, I'm sure Penny will have all the links and stuff connected, but um, on my social accounts, it is, I have two, one for the salon world that is just at Village Solo. And I do have one at, at Tiffany Giovanni and she'll have all the links and things. So you don't have to try to spell my last name because it looks like a typo. <laughs> I, I really Perfect. love this conversation and it's one that's going to be worth re-listening to uh, just because we touched on so many important points around self-acceptance and to know that there's always something better to recognize when you're distracting away in your life in your business and to recognize that that's a sign there's something else um, going on and i just love that as a business owner you pointed out that you were actually creating more to do in your business during the period of time that happened and just to leave with this one thought that she talked about self-acceptance and being present. When we're in a state of self-acceptance, we're no longer living in the past. We're not letting that past define us. It's not our identity. We can acknowledge who we are, what we've experienced, and how that's helped us become the person we are without identifying with the person or as the person who experienced those things. So if you enjoyed this episode, please give it a screenshot, tag Tiffany or myself. I'll have her Instagram handles below and um, help us share this message with other women and entrepreneurs and yes, men too, um, who might find some piece of wisdom or insight in this that changes their lives. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for sharing and being vulnerable. Oh, yes, Penny. I mean, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate you for having me. All right. We'll catch you next week, everybody. I hope you can feel my appreciation and gratitude for you, my listener. I would love to connect with you outside of the podcast platform. There are a few ways that you can do that. If you're not already on my email list, you can go to pennychason.com forward slash myth and download the Big Mindset Myth PDF. Or you can go to Instagram and follow me at penny.chason. You can connect with me there. I would love to see you there. And of course, you could always head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a positive review of this episode. I appreciate you and I will see you back here next week.